the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hello, hi, how are you? Thank you for tuning into Ridiculous History. Several of us listening today will be familiar with an area of the world known as Appalachia, the Appalachians, the Appalachian Mountains, right? I've got I've got some past there. Um, and the the thing that's interesting about it is even if you live in the US, uh, odds are that you have not been there because it's it's quite a rural area, but it's where today's story takes place. My name's Ben. My name's Noel. Ben, have you uh, did you know that if, if you hike certain parts of the Appalachian Trail, you get little rings on your walking stick or there's some kind of merit badge you're supposed to get mm-hmm. where you can show unequivocally that you have hiked the entire Appalachian Trail? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, have, I have exactly zero of those. <laughs> I also, uh, while I've hiked parts of the trail, I have not hiked the entire thing. It's a heck of a commitment, but it's a noble thing to do. Oh, Almost as noble as being the uh, producer on shows like Ridiculous History, which reminds me, we should shout out our super producer, Casey Pegram. So, Noel, you have never hiked the trail, but you've been to the Appalachians, yeah? I have, and I've, I've uh, been on parts of the trail. That's where I found out about the medallion system, where it's these little kind of curved metal pieces that indicate which parts of the trail you successfully completed. And if you're like a real baller, a real Appalachian trailhead, mm-hmm. uh, you have a stick that's just like, you know, covered in these things. <laughs> right, right. Just lousy with them. One of the most interesting things about exploring this area of the world is that you'll run in to places where time seems to have slowed down or things go at their own relatively isolated pace. And in today's episode, we're going to explore a tiny community that is 
in its own way, very isolated. It's called Vulcan in the western edge of West Virginia. That's about as west as it gets, my friend. <laughs> right. That's okay, true. that's that's actually not entirely true, but it's as west as it gets in West Virginia. Right. It's a, Virginia wise. This is the westest. Vulcan, West Virginia, is an interesting case. It's located along the Tug Fork, which is uh, you know part of the Tug River, and this is often called one of the U.S.'s most storied waterways. Vulcan is named after, you know, spoiler alert, the god of fire in Roman mythology, Vulcan. And this is something we had talked about off air. Vulcan makes an appearance in a fantastic novel and set of TV adaptations called American Gods by Neil Gaiman. You saw that, right? I did. Is season two out yet? I've been been seeing promos for it everywhere. Okay, all right. Or it's about to come out, yeah. Um, I'm I'm excited. That's one of those shows where I don't know about everybody else, but I, I made the decision a while back that if I really enjoy a show, I want to wait until the entire season is out before watching it because Netflix ruined me, man. I just I, I can't watch something and wait for a week and hope it shows up next week. It just it triggers all kinds of, you know, abandonment issues and patience. You know, I'll tell you, I actually kind of I, I like it in a different way. I like being able to binge, but I also like the old school cliffhanger having to wait a week mentality of traditional television release. Hmm. I'll do that with maybe Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Did it with True Detective. You know, the ones that are real edgier cedars. I halfway did it with True Detective Season 3. I watched the first four episodes, and I said, I'll wait. Then you took a couple weeks off, and then you had some little bingeable episodes for you. Yep. Uh, In the case of Vulcan, West Virginia, we find a town that is very much isolated by geography more so than, say, culture, right? Could we, could we talk a little bit about where Vulcan is? We said it's, it's in this very southwestern corner of West Virginia, but what's it around? Well, it's, I mean, it's kind of its own weird little island in some ways in that there's no connection to the surrounding um, areas except through a little footbridge. Uh, the uh, Norfolk and Western Railway runs through the middle of the town, um, and that separates the two sides of the town um, from one being located on the riverbank, and then there are ones that are up uh, more inland on a hill um, that is very near to a cemetery called Vulcan Hill. Uh, and here's the thing. I mean, even to get out of the city, out of this little hamlet, you would have to sometimes cross underneath parked railway cars. Um, Kids, school kids, had to catch the bus on the Kentucky side. In order to get there, they had to go to some pretty perilous uh, ends to to catch the bus. And some kids have even been injured, and I believe there was the case of a child losing a leg um, in such a situation. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely true. So we're we're looking at mountains, rivers, uh, terrain that is very difficult to traverse, so much so that had coal not been discovered in the general vicinity here, you could make a, a fairly strong argument that no one would be living there at all. You know, maybe maybe some guy decades and decades ago would have hit a moonshine still out there, but even that would be um, – pretty arduous. It'd still be a lot of work to get there. However, when coal was discovered in this area in the 
very beginning of the 20th century, a mining camp was constructed. And this would later grow into what we recognize as Vulcan, West Virginia. But but the <laughs> the thing is, when the mining camp was first constructed, when coal was first discovered there, the miners who lived in the area had to row across the river every day just to go to work. That's right. And it wasn't until that mining company created this very narrow wooden footbridge um, that folks could actually get in and out of town without having to get wet. Um, so the thing I was talking about with the kids uh, and the uh, the railway cars, that was a little bit later. Yeah, yeah, that was a little bit later, but it's an excellent example of the importance of this bridge and the problems with this bridge. Picture this, if we're going to do a Rod Serling intro, uh, picture this town. There's one way in, there's one way out, and that's when the bridge is working. It drives straight into the Vulcan zone. So, so the uh, I'm freestyling here. Uh, so over the years, the people who lived in this community, realizing the key nature of this bridge, they, they took great care to maintain it. And when automobiles arrived, when they became a thing in this part of the world, the people of Vulcan took a upon themselves to expand this bridge so that they could drive these vehicles across. However, to your point, Noel, when we say expanding, we mean that they just barely made it big enough for one car to drive across. Yeah, and this was DIY ingenuity at its finest because they didn't have somebody swooping in to help them with infrastructure. It was literally an effort of the townspeople to solve a problem they needed solved. And to cross that bridge, a swinging footbridge on a car, good Lord, that sounds like the most terrifying experience ever of all time. No, no thank you, sir or madam. The way that the New York Times described this bridge in an article on December 16th, 1978 by an author named Gregory Jaynes uh, was that there was no more than a, quote, thumb-length margin for error on either side. Have you ever driven around in the mountains, Noel? Yeah, with the crazy switchbacks and, like, where you're uh, right off the edge of the cliff. Like mm-hmm. you were so close, especially when you can't see what's in front of you and you were just trusting that around that that turn, you're not just going to plummet to your death. Oh, and you know what this makes me remember? When we did an epic road rally car trip, uh, Casey, you were there, and Noel, you were there, and I was there, as well as my good friend Scott Benjamin, uh, we had to drive through parts of West Virginia that were exactly like this, switchbacks and all. Yeah, that's where that's where my main memories of it come from, is that uh, very sketchy uh, leg of that trip. Mm-hmm. And Scott, I don't know if you know this about Scott, folks, but he is a bit of a, uh, a speed demon. He's got a lead foot. Yeah, he was not. He was taking those curbs like Steve McQueen mm-hmm. and leaving us kind of clutch, at least me, personally, clutching my, my, my pearls. That's that's why I pressured him to switch switch the wheel and ride shotgun for a while and, and let me drive. But if you've, if you've ever been, not just in the Appalachian area, but if you've ever been in a mountainous area in general in the car, you know what we're talking about, these very narrow roads and lanes that hug the side of the incline with maybe, maybe some wooden railing, maybe nothing. Uh, and 
It can be very disconcerting if you're a person who doesn't drive there every day because people who drive there every day, this is a normal experience to them. So they think that they'll think that you are driving like, um, you know, like an, like an elderly person, right? Whereas we'll think they're driving like lunatics. This is one of those bridges, but it's not just in a mountainous area. It's over water. There's not much margin for error. And then throughout the decades, right, they're, they're taking care of this bridge. It's an, a key artery of the town. But as we know, as recent history has shown, coal mining doesn't last forever toward the 1960s or so, the coal resources begin to dry up and the town feels like it's entering an economic decline. It feels like there's trouble, but they still have the bridge, at least that is, until July of 1975. Yeah, that's when, you know, despite their best efforts to keep it up, I mean, they're not professional bridge caretakers and, you know, understandably they've got work to do down in those other dangerous part of town being the mines. Um, So the bridge collapses, it crumbles, and it leaves them pretty much, for all intents and purposes, in an automobile-based society at this point, cut off from the outside world. Yeah. And, and in desperate need of some assistance. So even though things had never been particularly opulent in the town of Vulcan, West Virginia, now things seemed increasingly desperate. One person in the town described it as living at the tail end of nothing. They knew that this situation was unsustainable. The town depended upon this bridge. Around the time of the bridge collapse, a woman named Nellie Holly had ordered a living room suite from upstate further up in West Virginia. And the truck arrived with the furniture, but the driver refused to bring the goods to the Holly household because the driver learned that the only road into Vulcan was this how is it described? A ribbon of gravel, and it wasn't even public property, right? No, it belonged to the railway station. It was more of a, more or less an access road, uh, not intended for this kind of use. And kind of in a similar situation we were talking about in that it was very narrow, very dangerous, and uh, you'd be putting yourself at risk, and especially since it's, it would technically be trespassing on private property. Mm-hmm. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. 
It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer, add your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month. Go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. And so now we introduce you to a fascinating character, one John Robinette, who had lived in the area for his entire life. He had worked as a notary public, a car mechanic, a carnival barker. That's something that happens in a lot of small towns. There will be people who have multiple different types of occupation depending upon the service needed at any given day. You know, so the person who runs the grocery store might also be the person who hosts the annual harvest festival or something, right? The person who's the dentist might also be the youth pastor. Yeah, sort of the way that uh, football coaches would often teach history. In high school. Right. Oddly enough, or social studies. Also true. That's the other one. So this guy, John Robinette, he is so sad that Miss Holly is not getting her living room suite. It moves him on an emotional level. And he says, so I up and appointed myself mayor and set out to get us a bridge. Because the bridge had obviously collapsed. Miss Holly was 74 years old. She had to hire herself a boy to go fetch a few sticks of furniture and haul it on back against the law on railroad property, private property. And so he made it his mission as self-appointed mayor to to prosecute for the construction of this new bridge and talk to regional politicians, area politicians. He eventually gets as far as speaking to the office of former governor, Arch Moore. However, it's a close but no cigar situation, a close but no bridge situation. And just for a little bit of context, this article from the New York Times that you can find um, online is from 1978. So this is a very contemporary account of this problem. So what happens is uh, Phyllis Blankenship, who ran the 16 uh, post office box 
post office in Vulcan um, recounts the story like this. He, the uh, person who appointed himself mayor, Mr. Robinette, got on the phone, got on the horn with the governor and demanded a bridge be built, demanded satisfaction um, and close but no cigar. So, you know, what's the obvious next step? He's been turned down by the government of his own city, abandoned, left in the cold. You know, they're doing this this town based around this very dangerous occupation contributing to the uh the the economy of the state. And the governor says, "No, thank you. You are forgotten. You are marooned and forgotten." So, Mr. Robinette comes up with what I would say is one of the most brilliant uses of like PR blackmail almost. Yeah. Yeah, so it's uh 1976. They've just been stonewalled every time. Every time they ask for a little bit of help. Again, the bridge that collapsed was the only legal way in and out of the town. People were having to drive illegally on this this flimsy ribbon of gravel that the train company owned. Uh, they every time they asked, they were told there was no money. There's no money available to spend on the bridge, according to reports from the West Virginia Gazette. So this is what Robinette does. Mayor Robinette writes to not the local paper. He's already done that. Not the New York Times, any paper of note. Instead, he writes directly to the USSR, the Soviet Union, and he says, Hi, I'm the mayor of Vulcan, West Virginia, a small town here in the United States, and we are our town is going to die if we don't get this bridge uh, the state is not going to fund us and in my in my opinion dear russians uh, i don't think uncle sam cares one whit about us he sends this letter to the soviet embassy in washington dc and at first you know at first it's like well is this a joke is this just a a prank a little bit of trolling and the soviet government doesn't immediately answer until, that is, Robinette is contacted directly by a journalist named Iona Andronov, a Soviet reporter who wants to hear this story in person. So in um, December of 1977, this reporter, Andronov, uh, touches down in Vulcan and starts making the rounds, getting the scoop. Pounding the pavement or the mm. gravel, I guess, huh. and uh, asking questions of the residents and broadcasting it to the rest of the world. Right, right. So Andronov works for um, a publication in Moscow called Literatanava Gazeta, and this is solid gold, platinum-level ammunition for the propaganda war that's going on between the USSR and the U.S. The problem is, from Uncle Sam's side, that U.S. papers also know a good headline when they see it, and the U.S.-based publications pick it up as well. So in a way, they are disseminating Russian propaganda for the USSR. The Spokane Daily Chronicle writes about this in 77 with the following quote. Soviet officials were amused today by reports that the small town of Vulcan, West Virginia, has appealed to the Kremlin for foreign aid. The town, with a population of 200, asked the Soviet government for financial help to build a bridge after the town was turned down by the U.S. and West Virginia governments. It's crazy that newsmen still talked like that in the late 70s. Especially since it was a printed paper and not a radio announcement. Well, you know, sometimes they have to uh, dictate, you know. (laughs) 
so this is this is also during the um, not the height of the Red Scare communist panic, but this is still a time and place where people would accuse you of being a communist as an insult or ask you if you were a card-carrying communist. Someone did ask Andonov, and he said, yes, actually. Yeah, that's sort of our thing. Uh, Yeah, it it got so far as to, uh, for there being rumors circulating in the community that there would be bomb attacks on any bridge that was built with communist uh, cash. So, you know, it really created a hubbub. And that those headlines really were disseminated because this is quite a juicy story. So, uh, of course, all of a sudden, the good old U.S. of A, as we, we, don't like, uh, we don't like to be made fun of, we don't like to be made to seem cheap, even though we, we kind of are a lot of the time, um, acquiesced and was like, okay, okay, we can do this. We can, we can muster the money that we need now that you've Put our nose to the fire. We'll give you one point three million, and we'll get you your little bridge. Because here's the thing, though: it like it was really not the the families that stayed behind after the coal industry crumbled were kind of these holdouts. Mm-hmm. They, they they didn't have anywhere else to go. They they did, couldn't afford to move, perhaps. Sure. And they you know this was their home, and it was only like in the dozens of families that lived in this very small area. Right. It was less than uh, it was less than 100 families, maybe maybe 50 families. But this is okay. This is where the story divides. This is where there are two different versions of the story, two different narratives that persist in the modern day. So, yes, the West Virginian government does agree to build this bridge or at least provide the funds to build the bridge. But they do it like within hours after Andronov actually gets into Vulcan. They do it so quickly. So let's let's kick through two different versions of this story. As the New York Times puts it, whether by coincidence or design, the state of West Virginia announced on the same day of Andronov's visit that Vulcan would get this bridge. They like the same day he was there, he announced. Wonder if that was because of some uh Intelligence gathering, maybe. Yeah, so the papers have been, the U.S. papers and the Moscow papers uh, were, were aware of this too, and that means certainly the intelligence apparatus was also uh, cognizant. But from the official U.S. government perspective, the explanation of this, was West Virginia's explanation, is that it just they they were just in the approval process for months and months. It just takes a long time to approve that much money in the West Virginian government. But to the people of Vulcan, and if we're being honest, to most of the people reading this story from the outside, it seemed like they only reacted this way because it was an international embarrassment because Mayor John Robinette had just brought a Russian person down there. And he said also, <laughs> Robinette, for his part, said he doesn't, he doesn't care where the money comes from. No. He just wants the bridge built. That's right. He just wants uh, Miss Holly to get her living room suite with some dignity. It really tied the room together. It was really important for her to have that living room suite. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position 
warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh boy, have I ever been. (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. But here's the thing. I mean, it, it just goes to show how sometimes a little weaponized PR move is exactly what it takes to get those in power to act. It's never doing the right thing or often not. It's much more about holding their feet to the fire and making them fear the potential of looking foolish. Right. And in this case, it worked. Two years later, two years after this hubbub and brouhaha, on July 4th, 1980, the bridge opened. It cost a little over $1 million, and the price was ultimately split between the governments of West Virginia and Kentucky. The residents of Vulcan celebrated the opening of what they called the bridge the Russians almost built uh, with an American flag waving in the breeze and a cartoonishly large amount of illegally imported vodka. Now, here's the postscript of the story, or at least the fictionalized postscript, the part where the U.S. government, in a blatant act of revenge, poisons all the remaining uh, (laughs) inhabitants, you know, in their sleep because... You don't mess with, you know, you mess with the the bull, you get the horns. Maybe yeah. not. I don't know. That's not true. But I would be pissed. Wouldn't you be pissed if you were Uncle Sam? Um, it depends on the different levels. You know, on a federal level, I probably would be more irritated with the, um, with the state government 
Like, were I president at the time, I, I wouldn't be irritated with the residents of Vulcan. I wouldn't even be that irritated with the Soviets. I'd be irritated with the governor of West Virginia. That's a good point. You know what I mean? Maybe he got a talking to. It rolls downhill, my friend. It really does. <laughs> so this, this is fascinating, and this stunt was successful. We have to wonder uh, whether something like this could be replicated somewhere else in the world, and when we are working with our research associate, Christopher Hasiotis, one thing we found was that there are plenty of other examples of foreign aid being given to the U.S. or other countries attempting to give foreign aid to the U.S. Like famously, um, the Maasai in Kenya, after the tragedy of 9-11 on September 11th, 2001, the attack on the World Trade Center, the Maasai donated cattle to the U.S. Did you Do you remember this story? I do not. Yeah. Yeah, it's heartwarming. So the Maasai live in a relatively rural area of Kenya. But when they learned what happened in New York on September 11th, uh, they were they were so horrified and sad, they felt like they needed to do something. So they blessed 14 cows in a pretty solemn ceremony and then gave these cows to the deputy chief of mission at the U.S. Embassy in Nairobi, a guy named William Brankick. And they said, here, please bring these to the people of New York and let them know, you know, that they are in our thoughts. And I thought, I thought that was heartwarming because that's not propaganda at all. That's just being very human. You know what I mean? So I want to, I'm bringing that example up because I do want to point out that not every foreign act of charity is a propaganda move. The Russian one was, though. Totally. For the record, that was one. Yeah. And now um, you can, I think, still visit this area through that very bridge that was constructed, the bridge that the Russians almost built, which is now a single, um, small, two-lane road bridge over the Tug, which is just a single-lane tunneled bridge that is covered in graffiti, uh, (laughs) which I love that image. It's almost like its own little mini Berlin Wall. And this is where our story ends today. However, never fear, it's not the end of our show. We will be back with more strange, dare we say ridiculous, tales of people, places, and events throughout this uh, weird experiment that we call human civilization. In the meantime, we want to hear from you folks. Do you have any stories from... I, in particular, will be um, personally fascinated by any stories of the Appalachian Mountains. But uh, regardless of where you live in the world, do you have any stories like this, any very isolated towns that had to use unorthodox means to for survival? Yeah. Any bridge-related stories? And hey, if you're a New Yorker, are you a bridge or a tunnel person? What do you prefer? It's Let divisive. us know. Yeah. It really is. Cab drivers will often ask me that, and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Whichever one's best. I think part of it is, you know, the cab drivers will present it in terms of what's better given traffic patterns, but a lot of people do have crippling fears of either going on bridges, like my my mother hates bridges, uh, or they have a a fear of going into the ground, you know? Uh, So it's really, 
is a polite way to ask, which terrifies you least? That's a really interesting way of looking at it, and I never thought of that. So let us know which terrifies you most or least. You can write to us at ridiculous at howstuffworks.com. You can check out our social media presences uh, at uh, Facebook, where you can join our uh, group called The Ridiculous Historians, which we find to be a lot of fun. And you can follow us both personally. We have our very own Instagrams. Noel, you've got one. Yeah, it's at Embryonic Insider. And I'm at Ben Bolin. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Casey Pegram. Thanks to our research associate friend of the show, Christopher Hasiotis, who we're overdue to have a guest appearance. We really are. He's always the best. In fact, sometimes on the the one thing you have to do to join the Ridiculous Historians on Facebook is say who, name one of us as the host, and occasionally someone will name Christopher, which I appreciate because he appears so infrequently. His appearances (laughs) must really make an impact. I love love all the guests that we have on our show. And, And, you know, it gets weird but always weird in a good way. Thanks also to Alex Williams, who composed our track, to our research associate, Gabe. And, Noel, thanks to the people of West Virginia. Really, they're resilient people, and they know how to get stuff done. We'll see you next time, folks. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at Kings Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun season. Kings Island is now open on weekends.